0: be too much for me but there is no impossible with you there is no impossible with you there is no impossible with you so i wanted to just share real quickly um, last week when we when we worshiped there was a lyric that just really jumped out and grabbed me and you know how that happens sometimes maybe you're singing a song maybe you're reading the bible and something that you've you've seen a hundred times before suddenly means something that didn't mean before and and the lyric is just one line i've sung it a hundred times it was let the darkness fear and i thought here i am i'm always worried about being afraid of the darkness right like we're fearing our enemy we're fearing what might be ahead of us but the darkness is what should be afraid. Our enemy is what should be afraid of, of us as, as the body of Christ, relying in his strength. He's the one who's, who's got the power. And, and uh, I was doing a little bit of study on that this week, and, and it really seems to emerge that it's not so much, you know, just one of us. I mean, maybe sometimes, but it really comes out in it's the body. It's us together have the, the power and the strength. James 4, 7, submit yourselves, not yourself, yourselves, then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Um, so so I was just really encouraged this week in thinking that, um, you know, we're not the ones, if, if we're walking in community and walking with each other, we're not the ones who have to be afraid. It's our enemy who should be afraid. Amen? So um, just just wanted to share that as, as we sing and think about the greatness of our God and give him praise this morning.
1: praise team for leading us. I have a few announcements here to call to your attention, so um, just want to get you up to date on some stuff. First of all, the the elder team at Creekside Church is kind of uh, starting something new after, in an effort to kind of encourage our elder team and our elders uh, in their service, and in order to support their spiritual growth and their family health and To keep them kind of fresh in their walk with God, we're going to kind of give each uh, each guy on our elder team a break, okay? Uh, Just for a period of months, so they're going to take a little refresher and just kind of absolve themselves of their elder responsibilities. They're still going to serve in the church and still going to be part of the ministry, but so you'll see a little asterisk on the back of your bulletin. You'll see a little asterisk by the name of the person that's uh, on on their sabbatical, and uh, after 17 years. As an elder, uh, Mark Klein is going to be the first uh, to take his little uh, sabbatical. So, And we just want to encourage you, these are not because there's a problem, there's not because there's an urgent need or that there's something going on in the church that they want to absolve themselves of or not have to, to deal with. It's just that we want to keep them from burning out. Uh, so we want to give them a little chance to, to have a break, and so that's what we're going to do. Uh, Mark is still on the elder team. He's just not going to be involved in our regular meetings and all these kinds of things, so he can kind of take a step back and catch his breath for a while. So he's going to be off for a few months, uh, probably starting uh, in about, uh, no, about a week until the end of the year, I think is probably what we're looking at for Mark. And then we're going to rotate each of the guys or uh, rotate off for, uh, for a little bit of a break. Uh, after that, so just want to let you know that we got a summer series coming up, uh, an adult study. Uh, young people are invited to come too, but uh, starting on uh, the twenty first of June, so the twenty first and the twenty eighth of June, the twelfth and the nineteenth of July, from six thirty. Uh, at six thirty, starts at six thirty, and so some of our younger guys are going to be kind of spearheading. Uh, the teaching here, so they're kind of in fear and trepidation, so you can be praying for them. Our Timothy team guys are getting prepared to, to lead that study, as well as, uh, as uh, one of our elders is going to be sharing at that as well. So we we'll have more information on that coming out. I have a thank you note from uh, Mark and Holly Grubb. Dear Creekside, Greek thank you so much for all the calls and texts and emails and cards and visits. We truly appreciate all your thoughts and prayers. Many people have said they wish they could help more um maybe you should have called some of them uh, friday when you were treating cattle i don't know uh, but anyhow all, they said all they could do was pray um and uh, but uh mark and holly said those prayers were definitely recognized and felt throughout this whole process what an amazing church family we have the lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does the lord is near to all who call on him to all who call upon him in truth he fulfills the desires of those who fear him he hears their cry and saves them. Psalm 145, verses 17 through 19. Thanks again, Mark and Holly, Grubb, and their family. And so, other than mentioning that the Shens are having a, a big party this coming Saturday, that's all I'm going to, to say. Except I will say uh, happy birthday, belated birthday to, to our brother Ken. So, happy birthday as of yesterday, Ken. So, uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> Come Saturday and have fun. That's what Ken says. And you don't have to be, and for those of you who don't know, I didn't, the, the Shins, which there's, that's an actually a, a, a place in the Bible. So, okay, there's a, there's a, you can look it up in your Google search if you want to. But that's our uh, older crowd, all right? But you don't have to be among the older crowd to come to the party. They, they love having everybody uh, come and join in. So they, they always have good food and good fun and good fellowship. So, all right, phew. Uh, there's probably more that I should announce, but I'm I'm done on announcements. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pray, Father. I thank you, and it is really true. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word. And I ask now, Father, that as we uh, we move into the study of Your Word, I pray that we would worship You in spirit and in truth. Yes, we can joyfully sing and lift up our praises to You, and we can. Uh, prayerfully meditate and contemplate and uh, consider the truths of your word to apply them to our lives. And Lord, uh, these are your truths. I pray that we, we would receive them like the church at Thessalonica, and, uh, not as the word of men, but for what it truly is, the word of God. And I ask that you would work in and through this text to bring about your transformation in our hearts and lives and souls. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like Samuel, now if, uh, those of you, if you're kind of new here, we're in the book of Samuel, but like Samuel, who grieved over Saul's rebellion, his rejection of God and his rebellion against God, and we saw that in chapter 15, verse 35, and then we see it again in chapter 16, verse 1, like Samuel, who grieves, many of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus, we also are lamenting the godlessness of our culture. We look around and we see a world that's crazy. The presence and the pervasiveness of sin. The practice of believers abandoning the truth of the Word of God. And then the painful persecution that's experienced by believers and also expected, unfortunately, by believers is, is something that I think, for, at least for me sometimes, leaves, leaves us feeling helpless Leaves us feeling a little bit hopeless. Like, what are we supposed to do when, when everything's falling apart and the truths that we've been clinging to and holding to and believing in are somehow being abandoned and attacked? Well, First Samuel chapter 16, which is the passage we're in this morning, shines the light of hope into the darkness of despair. Not just then, but it does now, I think, in a way that uh, uh, is encouraging. And the choice of David... To be the king based upon his heart reminds us, I think, reminds me that, that God doesn't forget us. He doesn't abandon us. He didn't abandon God's people then. He, he brought David onto the scene after Saul's problems, which didn't take long, to manifest himself. And as we're going to see as we continue on, continued to manifest themselves even as David was faithful. But he reminds us that he doesn't abandon us. And it also is a... Is a God doesn't abandon us. Even in the midst of that, no. God does not abandon us, and He doesn't forget us. And the Lord also reminds us that He resources us to stay faithful. So in the middle of all of it, He hasn't leaving us. In the middle of all of it, He's resourcing us to stay true and faithful. And so in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1-23, through 23, God's choice of His King assures us of His love. It assures us of his loyalty. It also provides us a couple of resources to face the uncertainty and the increased hostility that's all around us in the world. Now, you have your, uh, if you have that outline in front of you uh, that you're, some of you take notes on, this outline is being, has been uh, modified and revised. So I, I, I debated whether to just redo the whole thing and come over yesterday and stuff the bulletins again. But I decided against it. I decided, I'm just going to tell you, look... So the title is wrong, okay, so the title is last week's title, uh, so the, the actual title here is, is to look, look at the heart. And then as we get into it, so the first point in the outline is that what is the first resource that God provides? God's provision of, I said, a king, but no, it's his king, okay? God's provision of his king inspires us his provision of his king. So I'm going to read the text. I'm not going to read all of chapter 16. I'm going to read down through verse 11, and then we're going to tease it out. And I really can't encourage you enough, as you think about the, the next week, spend some time, if you could, in the next chapter. So next chapter we're going to be in is in chapter 17. So in this next week, read chapter 17. I'm not going to read all 52 verses of uh, 1 Samuel 17 uh, next week. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have have selected a king for myself among his sons. But Samuel said, how can I go? When Saul hears of it, he will kill me. Now, you understand that, right? There's already a king, Saul, and if he hears that uh, Samuel is going to anoint another king, David, uh, yeah, that wouldn't be good, all right? And so he said, uh, so Samuel said, uh, uh, so Samuel and and you, verse 3, and you shall invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do, and you shall anoint for me uh, the one whom I designate to you. So in chapter 16, verse 2, Saul told, or uh, Samuel was told by the Lord, just offer up a sacrifice. Say you're going to offer up a sacrifice, and then that's going to appease somehow appease Saul. Verse 4, so Samuel did what the Lord said, and he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came trembling to meet him and said, do you come in peace? I wonder why they would say that. Well, the last time we saw Samuel, he was hacking somebody to pieces. So I think they might have been a little bit fearful that uh, they were going to get the same treatment, all right? And verse 5, and he said, in peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. He also consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. And then it came about when they entered that he looked at Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Next, Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are these all the children? And he said, "Uh, There remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending sheep. And then Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes. I'm going to keep reading through verse 13. So he sent and brought him in. He made now he was ruddy and beautiful had beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance and the Lord said arise anoint him for this is he then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of the bro, brothers of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward and Samuel arose and went to Ramah.
0: So here we have it.
1: This is the story of uh, David being selected as the king, and the first resource that we have in the text is God's provision for uh, of His king, which I think, in my understanding, it, it, it should inspire us. And I'll hopefully tease it out. The three aspects of God's provision. Now here's the second, or third, or fourth edit to your outline. Uh, <laughs> God's provision in, should inspire. Three aspects of God's provision inspires okay okay so there you go first the cause of the selection Uh, why was there a need for another king well first of all we see Saul's rebellion and rejection of God had resulted in him being rejected as the king by God and Samuel was grieving over it we left that in chapter 15 verse 35 Samuel was grieving then chapter 16 verse 1 Samuel is grieving well Samuel was pretty heavily invested in choosing Saul And he was hopeful that Saul's kingdom would be fruitful. And if he would follow God, then it would work out well for God's people. But it didn't, because Saul was a failure. I think he also feared that Saul's failure would result in spiritual further degeneration in the the people of Israel. Here was their leader, and he was a knucklehead, so why would the people have any reason to do otherwise? And so he was grieving over it. But that's not uncommon. I, th- I don't know about you, but you, I've seen people who are spiritual leaders, and they fall, and it's very grievous. I, I was really distraught when I heard uh, about Ravi Zechariah and his moral failures, and it was just devastating. It was just like, wow, really, seriously? This is, and concern that, uh, that people who were heavily invested and had been ministered to by him would turn away from the faith. It's like a grievous thing. But then I look around our world, and I think it's grievous to see what's going on in our world. You see the Church of Christ professing believers, embracing CRT, and Marxist and racist CRT ideology. You see them embracing moral relativism. Well, my truth isn't your truth, and your truth isn't my truth. I have my own truth. And you say, no, there one truth. And we see people in the church compromising on doctrine. And it's grievous. And Samuel was distraught. But we see in the text, God isn't. (laughs) Samuel was distraught, but God was not distraught because he had another plan, and God had this plan. He hadn't abandoned or forsaken his people. Samuel, don't worry. God's got this. They were hopeless and helpless. They were not hopeless and helpless because Saul's heartlessness. Just because he was heartless doesn't mean the people were without hope. No, God had it. Notice it says in the text, very first phrase here in verse 1, the Lord said to Samuel. Now, interesting little studies. If you went down through verses 1 through 3, you could circle all the I, the I, the I, the I. The preponderance of the I's referring to God tells us this is God's, God, God's deal. He's, he's in control. God is in charge. This is God's selection of a king. He's the main actor here. And it's God's selection of a king. I... I think it's important when it says at the end of verse 1 I have selected king for myself. He selected Saul for the people. He selected David for myself. This is God's selection of himself for himself. And his selection, his choice of a king from among the sons of Jesse, who was a Bethlehemite, descendant of Ruth and Boaz from Bethlehem is not an accident. It's intentional. And it is the focus of this chapter, the selection of a new king. And it suggests that, uh, God suggests that uh, Samuel, because Samuel's freaked out, he says, well, if I'm going to go up and offer the sacrifice, then uh, Saul's going to off me because he's going to feel threatened by that. And so uh, God suggests that Sam will take a sacrifice to provide a little context for what he's doing and cover, actually, uh, so that uh, any threats might be uh, taken care of. So like Moses before him, in Exodus chapter 4, who was to lead the people out of Egypt, and like Saul after him, who was supposed to, uh, Saul, New Testament Saul, after him, who was supposed to minister to, to the Gentiles, here we have Samuel just doing what God said and trusting that God would uh, fulfill his promise because God said to him, I'll show you what to do. You just go up there and I will show you what to do. Are you comfortable with that in your life? You don't have all the answers, but God will show you what to do. I remember when, uh, uh, Anand and I were, were traveling. I have a picture of uh, he and I in the, in the airport in Dubai. And uh, we're, we're on this uh, leg of our trip. It was when we found out that my visa had actually been approved so we could actually uh, go uh, to where we were going. And we didn't have all the answers about what was going to happen ahead of us. We had no clue, in fact, all that God had in store for us. But God knew what was, go- what was going down, and He took care of us. It's the same is true for all of us, Lord. Lord takes us. And in Deuteronomy, it says that God will choose the king. Deuteronomy chapter 17. And so God chose the king. Samuel was just there to confirm it. Okay, He was God's messenger, just there to confirm the king. Now, in verse 4, it says this. So Samuel did what the Lord said and came to Bethlehem, and he did it. He just did what God had, had told him to do. Samuel's courageous faith is set in stark contrast to Saul's cowardly disobedience in chapter 15. Samuel, courageous faith. Saul, cowardly disobedience, okay? So here we go. And so that's the, 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 that's the cause of the selection. What's the criteria for his selection? Well, we see it in verses uh, 6 through 12. And here's the, when, when Jesse uh, and his sons, they came entering into where they're going to have the sacrifice, and Samuel and I don't know, this is kind of like a revisit to chapter 9 and chapter 10 when Samuel was picking out Saul. And if you remember, I'm not going to go into all the details. You can look it up if you want to in chapter 9, verse 2, and chapter 10, verse 23, that he was likely predisposed based upon Saul because Saul was, what, a head taller than everybody. And he was the most handsome guy in all of Israel at the time, right? And so kind of rewind your thoughts and it's like whoa so now he sees Eliab and he's taller than everybody and he's a manly man a manly dude and he says in his heart he thinks this is the man the Lord's anointed is before me now look at verse 7 the Lord I always love this in scripture the Lord answered his thoughts With an instruction. And he says this in verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. So there we go. Saul had the right look. Eliab had the right look. He had the wrong heart. He had the wrong heart. Don't, you know, so this is the problem. We, 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 he says, don't make the same mistake here that you did with, with Saul. And look only, at, for God sees, not as man sees. Okay, let's be honest. We, we typically praise, and we typically elevate, and we typically honor, and we typically celebrate those who have the right look. It seems, we pick Saul's. We pick Eliab's. This is the way it is in our culture. The Lord looks at the heart, and the heart, according to the Theological Dictionary of the Old Testament, is the center of our person, the center of our relationship with God. God is interested in the heart, not, not the external looks. God doesn't operate with our methods or our mindset. But He chooses the most unlikely, according to the world's standards, for His service. Now, folks, that should be an encouragement to most of us. Because most of us are not Hollywood. you know. Most of us are not the, the, the people with all of the humanly valued looks. It was true for David. God looked at his heart, not, not his appearance. It was true for Jesus. I mean, think about Jesus. Uh, Isaiah tells us that he was not somebody that was greatly physically attractive. We know that he was hanging out with scoundrels, like that's not the people the Pharisees thought that you should have as your king and as your your Messiah. And he definitely was from the wrong side of the tracks. I mean, he was from Nazareth and not from Jerusalem, okay? So he had it bad. And it's true for David. It's true for Jesus. It's true for us that God looks on our hearts, not our appearance. He doesn't pick his people for his service. As based on their looks, that's not the primary thing that he uses. But, you know, think about it. When we're looking or thinking about people who are leaders in the church, think about people who are going to serve on the mission field or people who are going to serve in a particular ministry in the church, we still still default. We still are looking for somebody who's an attractive, intelligent, articulate extrovert. That's typically who we choose. Even if they don't have the spiritual qualifications. Well, this guy or this gal is very successful in their business. They're very successful in what they do. They have the right look. Well, uh, God says heart, not, not looks. Look at the heart. When our children, who are now all married, before they were married, as they were growing up, my, one of my prayers for my children was that they would find and that God would bring them a spouse who had a heart for God. That would be the, the, the primary quality, that the, the, the person they would. And then whenever they got serious about somebody, that's what I was looking for. And I wish I was maybe more a little honed in on it sometimes than others and and more diligent about it. But that was the prayer. You see, humility and hard work and a heart that seeks and serves God, these are the things that God values. Most important in choosing a spiritual leader in the church, and a missionary, a spouse, or people who serve Christ. What is their heart? When we're looking for adding staff to to the church, you know, we look at their heart. Character. That's the number one thing. It's the most important thing. That's what God says. And then Samuel is interesting. Seven sons. And what does Samuel, Samuel hear from God on each of them? Not the guy. Not the guy. Not the one. I have not chosen them. That's what God repeated. These, uh, the Lord has not chosen the, this one. There was one remaining. So, I mean, Samuel's pretty astute, right? Well, if none of those are it, and I'm supposed to anoint one of Jesse's sons, is there anybody left? And uh, yeah, there was. Verse, verse 11, it says, and Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he's tending the sheep. He was not significant enough to come to this anointing and this sacrifice because he's out tending the sheep, which is the, like the dirt bag job, you know, like you're, you're the lowliest of the low. If you, I, I just heard this, you, you can't hold a candle. Did you know that the, the, the artisans and the crafters had to have somebody holding the candle so they could see to do their work? And the people who are the worthless of the worthless couldn't even hold the candle. They couldn't do that right. So that's David. He's, he's, he's out there watching the, the, but he's described, he's watching the flock, but what, how's he described? It says, he's ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance, verse 12. So you go, yeah, but I just thought, I mean, God just said he doesn't look at the appearance, right? Well, here's the point. Physical appearance is not the that which qualifies, but it, neither does it disqualify us for serving the Lord. So yeah, sometimes God chooses the lookers uh, to, to, to serve him. Well, praise God, because some are lookers and some are not. And so God chooses... Not based upon that. He doesn't disqualify or qualify based upon our physical appearance. And I love this in verse 12. He says, this, that's the one. Anoint him. Anoint him. And for this is he. Now what does this mean that he anoints him? It's an affirmation that David had the heart God was looking for. Because he chooses based on the heart. So this guy had good looks, but he also had a heart. Because that affirmed that he had the heart. This was affirming his proper heart. It was announcing him as God's choice. And it was assuring him, David, of God's continual support. So he was anointed. He's the guy that I chose, and he has my support. And that should be, I think, it, is, it inspires me because it's encouragement that all of us who fail by the worldly standards, if our heart is right, we are fit for God's service. God will use us. God wants to use us, and he can use us, and he will, but he's the only ones we'll use. That's inspiring. And thirdly, we see the consequence of, of, of the selection. Verse 13, the Spirit mightily came upon David, just as he had Saul, Right? But he came mightily upon David, confirming David as God's choice, but also conferring upon David God's power. God always enables what he requires. He gave him the power to do what he called him to do as the king. And then it says, the text says, and that he gave him, the spirit came upon him mightily, from that day forward, okay? Verse 13, came upon David mightily upon David from that day forward. So from that day forward, God's Spirit empowered David to overcome adversity and to accomplish the extraordinary. Now think about David's life. From the moment the Spirit of God came upon him, the storms assailed him. Well, maybe not immediately, but very close after that, okay? So here's what happened. He endured and he excelled. We're going to see in the next chapter, Goliath's taunting. He endured fleeing from Saul for all of Saul's life. He endured the Philistines' warring. He endured Nabal's insulting. Because he had the spirit of God in him until it came about that the, the reigning and rejected King Saul was replaced by David, and then he reigned, and he even wrote some nice stuff in the power of the spirit, and he ruled his people not, not flawlessly' now, I'm not you know, David's not a, he's not perfect, but in the power of the spirit, God gave him the spirit of God to combat adversity and to accomplish great things for God. Think about Jesus, David's greater son. And the Spirit of God gave our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the power to overcome adversity... ...and to accomplish the most extraordinary. The pardoning of our sin through His death and burial and resurrection... For all who believe, he made it possible for us to be redeemed and brought into his family by the power of the Spirit of God working in and through and and, and among him. Pardon for all who believe. God's Spirit permanently indwells every believer. If you're here this morning and you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you have the Spirit of God in you that enables you, enables me to overcome adversity and to accomplish even the extraordinary as rare as that might be (laughs) for for any of us to do something which we consider extraordinary but god enables what he requires he energizes us to do all that he asks us to do whatever it is god is calling you to do whatever god will call you to do he enables you to do it for his glory and that's the point it's not for us it's him For his glory, to God be the glory, great things he has done and great things he will do. And so we see that this this provision of his king inspires us. And secondly, we see that God's position of his king, not a king, his king instructs us. Where did he put this king that he just anointed? There's several ironic but instructional circumstances that I think instruct us. First of all, there's a tormenting spirit. In the, uh, that is the situation. It's rather odd. Okay, so now, we shift in verse from 13 to 14, and it's a dramatic shift. Notice the contrast. The Spirit of God has come mightily upon David. Now, what does it say in verse 14? Now the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. The Spirit of God is leaving Saul. The Spirit of God is coming on and dwelling in David in a mighty and powerful fashion. The Spirit descended and dwelled on David as his ally. The Spirit departed from Saul and became his adversary. And an evil spirit, the ESV says, a harmful spirit, okay, some of you like the evil spirit. That's like, oh wow, okay. There's a theological conundrum now. Uh, I'm really confused because God sent an evil spirit. Well, here's my uh, short take on that. God is the Lord of hosts, which means He's in charge of everything, good, bad, whatever. And every the hosts is the armies. Cosmic and earthly. He's in charge of it all. And if he's sovereignly in control and he says, go, they go. And so he says, go. He's not the author of evil. He is not evil. But he does control evil. And sometimes he sends evil to accomplish his purposes. And here to punish a known rebel. So he tormented, terrorized Saul. Saul came and went and terrorized him, as, as was the case. And he enticed him to do evil. So, again, God is not evil. He does not initiate evil, but he controls and sometimes uses it to punish proven rebels. And that's what he does. Secondly, we see a talented musician is suggested. So, his uh, attendants, uh, Saul's attendants are pretty astute. They go, this guy's freaked out. I mean, something's, something's off with him. You know, he's got this evil spirit, we don't know. But we're going to, we need a musician come in and, and play the harp or the lyre, and that will soothe him, and that will calm him down, okay? Verse 15, Saul's servants then said to him, Behold, now an evil spirit is from the Lord is terrorizing you. They assessed the situation, and they diagnosed it, and they also gave a solution. Verse 16, let us let our Lord now command our servants who are before you. Let them seek a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it will come about when, he, when the evil spirit from God is on you, that he shall play the harp with his hand and you will be well. How did they know that? I don't know. okay. But they thought the music would soothe them. Okay, and the, this evil spirit would go, go away. And they gave the suggestion. And so Saul says, okay, find one. That's my paraphrase. okay. Go get one. It uh, sounds reasonable to me. Go get him. Thirdly, we see that he tapped David. A tapping of David is the solution. So there's this problem of an evil spirit. Then they assess the problem, and they say we need a musician. And guess what? It's David. I, I, can't, I, just, I just love the irony and the, the beauty of the Scriptures. Because it just happens to be a guy in Saul's uh, attending... You know, one of his servants who says, oh, hey, I know a guy. I know a guy who knows a guy. No, I know a guy. And who is this guy that he knows? Well, listen to how David is described. It says in the text of verse 18, Then one of those young men answered and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is a skillful musician. Okay, Check. That's the top quality we need, right? Because we've got to have a musician to play the harp to uh, scare away the spirit or to soothe him out, okay? But notice this. A a man of valor or a mighty warrior and and a warrior, one prudent in speech and handsome and the most endearing and important quality, the Lord is with him. I would contend to you that it was not David's performance on the harp but the presence of the Spirit of God in David that drove the Spirit away. He is a suggestion, okay? So there's this, David is suggested to Saul, not accidentally, okay, but intentionally. And, and then David was the man after his own heart, and he had the looks and the life for it. Now David is, uh, is, is sent for by Saul, verses 19 and 20. David's presence, Now, where's David at? He's been anointed as the king. And what's he doing? He's watching the sheep. He's the king. But he's watching the sheep. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but his presence with the flock reflects to me a humble, obedient heart. He didn't usurp, uh, usurp his authority. He didn't demand respect. The chosen king didn't hold his authority over people. He served with humility. Oh, I think I know of somebody else who did that. David's greater son. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Folks, the path to leadership is service. And service shows a heart of humility. You want a king like Saul? He looks good. And a king like David who serves good and is good. And remember, I don't know, 70, 80 students at this English camp in Eastern Europe and a pastor of one of the churches that was partnering with us to do this ministry is in the kitchen fixing the meals and after the meal, cleaning and cleansing and and washing the dishes and putting things away. He was serving teenagers, young people, many of them who were not even believers. He was serving. Service reflects a heart of surrender to God. And God chose David to be the king, but ironically, Saul unwittingly chose Saul to serve him and bring him relief. So you have... The rejected king being served by the replacement king, but he didn't know that. And Saul loved him, it says in the text. I'm, I'm not reading everything but to you, but it's in there. Saul loved him, and he trusted him with his life. He made him his armor bearer. But that didn't last long. Okay, That didn't last long. It wasn't going to last long. His affection would turn to animosity. And the fourth thing we see here is that David is soothing to Saul. Verse 23, it says that, so it came about whenever the evil spirit from God came to Saul, David would take the harp and play it with his hand and Saul would be refreshed and be well and the evil spirit would depart. Think about that. David is serving And uh, again, it was the presence of the Spirit, not primarily the heart playing, that sent the evil spirit packing, but it brought relief. Ironically, David is serving his rival. And he's providing comfort and actually preserving Saul. Now, if you think about that in in what its implication is for us, think about David during these days, these difficult days, he learned to serve. He learned to suffer. We're going to read in a few chapters where Saul's like throwing spears at him. You know, like trying to kill him. David suffered for the truth. He stepped out in faith. He showed mercy. And he sought the welfare of unreasonable, threatening people. All the while trusting God. Now think about that for us. The same is true for God's children. First, David teaches us that, that no experience, because this was his experience as the king, he was tending the flock. He, and, and most of you have never been around sheep. But it's not a pleasant experience because they're stupid and they stink. And uh, they're, 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 they're unreasonable creatures, uh, in my opinion. Oh, they're nice, cute little lambs. That's true. But if you turn around, the buck will uh, make your behind its target, and uh, your are fair game. So he's serving the sheep, but nothing God used was wasted on David. It teaches us that no experience is wasted in all of your studies, students. You single people in your singleness, you people at work in your struggles, and your challenges, all of us with our health issues, all of us with our relational problems and difficulties, guess what? God is using these circumstances and His Spirit is present with you if you're a child of God to enable you to endure the difficulty, to grow us and guide us into Christ-likeness. That's what He did for David. He was growing him and, 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 and guiding him into becoming more like his greater son to conform us to his image and to advance his kingdom, the cause of Christ. Secondly, he instructs us that hated by the world, uh, he was eventually hated by Saul and despised by Saul, believers we're the salt and light. Just like Saul was a a soothing, preserving influence in the life of a wicked king, we are the salt and light, preservers and exposers of the darkness to bring and enable people to not perish immediately. And we help preserve and positively influence our society. That's our calling as God's people. And how do we do that? We prioritize the nuclear family. We promote biblical morality. Celebrating pride, I don't care for whatever reason, is sin. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So whatever flag you want to fly in the name of pride is wrong. We proclaim liberty in Christ. That's how we affect the world. It is their hearts that need to be changed and Christ is the only one who has the answer. Do we pray for revival in this land? Do we pray for people's hearts to be turned away from their self-indulgent quest that empty is empty and that they'll come to faith in Christ and humble themselves and find life in the one alone who can give it to them? We practice integrity. We provide for the needy and we protect the vulnerable. The widows, the orphans, the children, the unborn. We protect them because that's what God calls us to do in love. So if you're here and you're listening online or you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as the Lord and Savior, the the Spirit of God is absent from you. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to have a tormenting spirit, necessarily. Good, but It doesn't mean you're going to have a tormenting spirit. But it does mean that you, 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 you won't necessarily have mental anguish now, but you will have eternal agony. Apart from your yielding and turning from your sin and trusting in Christ, who died on the cross as the payment so that you wouldn't have to suffer if you accept his death on your behalf and his resurrection as proof that he conquered sin and death, then you can avoid eternal agony and that's what i would plead with you to do this morning i'm going to read in john chapter 3 john chapter 3 verse 36 john says this he who believes in the son has eternal life but he who does not obey the son shall not see life but the wrath of god abides on him and i say that not with delight but I call you if you don't know Christ. Those who believe in the Son have life. I want you to believe so you have life. And if we believe, we obey. If you don't obey, means you don't believe. And if you don't believe and you don't obey, then you experience the wrath of God, which I want you to avoid. Believe and live. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, man, we're inspired because... God hasn't abandoned us to uh, the vulnerability, uncertainty in the midst of all this hostility that's going on in the craziness of our world. He hasn't left us. No. You think about it. He provided His Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not, Not David, but David's Son. His Son. He provided Him as our Savior. If we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart, God is raising him for the dead, we will be saved. And if we're saved, we have the Spirit of God in us. And the Spirit of God in us empowers us to endure the conflict, endure hardship and adversity, and to accomplish the extraordinary. We can live forgiven with purpose in this life and trust that we are going to be received into glory. We have an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, that's reserved in heaven for us. I know, we do not have victory in this life over death. We do not have victory in this life over the decadence of the world. We do not have victory in this life over disease. We do not have victory in this life over disaster, but we do have victory. Thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We live and we work and we serve for a bigger prize than this life. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 57, and 58. And we're inspired that God looks on our hearts so that regardless of our appearance, we can still be used for God. Praise God. And if you don't, then look in the mirror. And then praise God. Because if you are perfect now, believe me, by the time you're my age, you won't be. All right? It's just part of the aging process. This is where God gives us. And He, inqu- he requires, uh, he, he gives what he re- the power to do what He calls us to do. And then don't waste, uh, God doesn't waste His, his sovereignty. Uh, uh, he works in and through us to accomplish His purposes and preserves us and uses us to preserve and protect this culture in which we live. I don't know. David's humble service and and it reveals a reverence for God and he rested in God. That's what I want. That's what I want you to have. A reverence for God and a resting in God. And now you know, here's the deal. Jesus, like David, Jesus like David, learned obedience to what he suffered. And we take time at the end of our service to remember what Christ suffered. He suffered on the cross, his body was broken, and his blood was shed so that we could have life. And have life in him. And these symbols reveal the cost and they remind us of the result. His body was broken and his blood was shed so that all who believe would escape eternal agony and enter eternal glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day that we uh, take the bread and the drink of the juice. Your body broken. Yeah. And you've told us who eats this bread and drinks this cup proclaims the Lord's death until he comes. I pray that we would do that, help us examine our hearts and uh, be right with you before we take these elements. And as we do, help us to be reminded of the cost and then rejoice in our life in Christ, we pray.